So Money Episode 311, Betty Lou. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey, welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Sharabi. Thank you for joining me. This week is kind of Anchor Woman Week. Today, I've got an Anchor Woman. Tomorrow, I have an Anchor Woman. Last week, we had Alex Steele from Bloomberg. Today, we have Betty Liu, anchor of Bloomberg Markets, appearing each day from 10 a.m. to noon Eastern and 3 to 4 Eastern. She's also the creator and host of her own podcast program, Radiate. It airs every Tuesday. Check out betty-liu.com. Betty is phenomenal. She's a single mom. She's been working in business news for a very long time, has interviewed some of the most influential people in business and politics and media, including presidents, Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. She's interviewed Warren Buffett, Carlos Slim, Jamie Dimon, Elon Musk, so many others. And so throughout our conversation, I'm dying to ask her, you know, what is it like to work behind the scenes at Bloomberg? She mentions her morning ritual that may sound fancy to others, but not to Betty. What Warren Buffett continues to teach her, you know, he is someone that Betty's interviewed many times. And Betty's top splurge, her biggest splurge. It's five figures. Here is Betty Lou. Betty Lou, welcome to So Money. Great to have you on the show. Great to be with you, Farnoosh. I'm a fan of your podcast. So uh, it's so great to be on your on your on your program. You're everywhere, Betty. I mean, you host (laughs) multiple programming on Bloomberg. You have a podcast. You're traveling. Where am I catching you right now? Well, the podcast stuff I'm learning from you, Farnoosh. So, so you're, so I'm, I'm gonna uh, after this tap your experience on, uh, on, on podcasting. Um, I mean, you know, I love, you know, I'm one of these people that I, you know, I love tapping into different projects. I'm having a great time at Bloomberg. Podcast is great, and I love writing too. You know, I started off in newspapers, so um, I like, you know, continuing to flex the, the writing muscles. But you know, as I'm doing all of that, I also just am learning too, which is something that you know, that I love to do. And I've, I've been, you know, that's partly why I got into, or that's a lot of the reasons why I got into journalism. So, um, so I guess, you know, I guess maybe I'm foregoing a little bit of sleep. Maybe I should concentrate on that more these days too. Cause you're also a mom, <laughs> right? You're a single mom. Yes. Yes. Yep. Well, I highly admire your professional life and your personal life and how you've been able to quote unquote balance. I don't know if you call it balance, but how you've been able to oh. just thrive. Um, um, and you're, I have, I like to say that I've interviewed some pretty impressive people. You have interviewed <laughs> some amazing, <laughs> hands down, incredible people. Warren Buffett, Elon Musk. What would you say was your best interview? What, that you walked away feeling like a changed, like you changed. I mean, I've had those moments, right? Where you like, a light bulb goes off during an interview and you're like, and you apply it right into your life and it's magic. What's been a, what has been a case like that for you? Well, there, there have been a lot of them, Farnoosh, um, you know, or, you know, several of them where, you know, for instance, you know, as you pointed out, interviewing Warren Buffett, I mean, the first time I interviewed him, I was so nervous. Um, but, you know, I realized that, wow, you know, he really, you know, he really is that friendly. He really is that open and he'll answer every single question. You know, he's one of the few guests who will directly answer every single question that you ask him. There's almost nothing 
um, there's almost nothing that he won't answer. So because you know, what does I, he have to lose, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, he's only a, only like his status as the richest man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm in no danger of uh, of taking him from yeah. that. So he, you know, so he he's very open, and you know, I've learned a lot of things. Just not only things he's told me through the years, but just from reading about him, learn a lot about you know how he became you know the world's third richest man in the world. Um, and same with people like Elon Musk, who's like this uber entrepreneur, um, this billionaire, but but also this guy who just has this fierce determination. And when people tell him that you can't do something, he turns around and does exactly what he says he's going to do. And, you know, you learn a lot about that and, and you become inspired by that as well. By the way, Elon Musk raised by a single mom. Yes. I was sitting next to her Big at a dinner. Influence. And uh, his mother, May Musk, is this model, and she's in her, I think, her late 60s. She's very striking. She's so striking. And she sat next to me at a a dinner, and um, it was a networking event with all these accomplished women. I was like, what am I doing here? I I should, one of these things is not like the other. That was me. And I'm sitting here talking to this great, graceful, gorgeous, striking woman about how she raised all her kids on her by herself. And she was a model, but also needed to like hustle. And she got a nutrition degree. And so she's a dietitian now. And like, all her kids are entrepreneurs. I didn't put it together that she was Elon Musk's mom because never once had she mentioned him. She, Interesting. But she's, she's very much like, I mean, they're very much like her, right? Very she, much like her. Just entrepreneur. They watched their mom basically be an entrepreneur and single-handedly thrive financially, career-wise. Yeah. And so what better gift than that? And all her kids are super successful. Elon's not the only child of hers that's gone on to become very successful. He's the most famous, but all of her other kids have been, um, are very, have admirable careers and are right. making Kimball Musk. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, they're all, you know, and they all, are, are not only successful, but they feel that they have this higher purpose to, you know, change an industry or change the way people live. Um, and that's what, you know, that's what Elon does. That's what his brother does with, you know, food, the food industry and, and, and other, you know, other areas. So, I mean, clearly she, you know, she really instilled some, some strong values in her kids and then she has them herself that, as you say, you know, and by the way, you certainly belonged at that table. Um, you know, that, that she clearly, you know, she clearly showed just through, through her conversation with you. I'm trying to get her on the show. So fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) She's a busy lady. She's been busier in her modeling career, uh, more so now than ever before. Um, which is great to hear because, you know, for her, someone, a woman, her age, it's not like you would think your modeling career takes off at 68, you know, good for her. Well, I didn't want to just talk about the musks on the show with you, but uh, it was an, it was an interesting, <laughs> interesting sidebar. Though. They're very yeah. interesting. So tell me a little bit about how you got into business journalism and you've been with Bloomberg for many years. Yes. How nine you, years. Nine years. That's a long yeah. time to be. In these days, it's a long time to be anywhere. Many people are moving around. I think what's great about you, though, is that while you've had this anchor position at Bloomberg and you've anchored yourself there, like, you know pun intended, uh, you've also been very entrepreneurial, you know, you're, you're in a lot of places and you, it was that something that you always wanted for yourself that you were, uh, learning from a lot of these business owners and CEOs that you've interviewed. It's important to diversify. It's important to spread the risk. Yeah. How, how have you approached your career? Well, I, I kind of, I tend to think actually that journalists, even though they don't look at it, they don't look like it from the outset 
are inherently very entrepreneurial. They have that entrepreneurial bug in them, you know, whether it's, it's them, you know, they join a newspaper or they join a news organization. They're always looking for, you know, the next great story to tell in a book, or, you know, they're always looking to, they are always actually looking at their next projects, um, you know, whether or not they're actually out there building their own company. So I actually tend to think that, that journalists do think very entrepreneurially. I mean, they have to also, every day they walk into work, they have to think about, you know, what's it, what's, what's the story that they want to write, you know, like what's, they have to kind of think up and find that, you know, find the leads to big stories. What's the next big scoop or the next big, um, you know, series that they can develop. So anyway, so, so I think there, there's, so that's probably why journalism attracted me when I was very young in college. You know, I knew that I wanted to become a reporter that I, you know, my dream was to work for the New York times and travel the world and be their foreign correspondent. And I kind of fell into business news because when I graduated at the time, this is the 95, um, business news was just starting to become a more prominent part of the of the news world, um, and so so I, I I fell into this job at AP Dow Jones. I was more enthralled by the Associated Press part of it than the Dow Jones part of it, but I fell into business news. I said, hey, this is pretty interesting. There's some pretty you know crazy characters in business news, and I started to just uh, dig more and 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 get myself familiar more with the industries. And before I knew it, they were posting me overseas to Asia as a, as a foreign correspondent, which was one of my dreams was to be able to travel the world. So I thought if there's any way to get to that path, and if it's through business news, then, then all the better. And so I just stuck with it. And, you know, lo and behold, now, Farnoosh, and you know this really well, with, is that business content is thriving. Um, a, you know, a lot of the front, when you open the, up the front pages these days, you know, many, much of the news these days is about business. And I think people are much more attuned to it than they were maybe 20 years ago. And it's not just a section, but it's right. It's front cover. It's depending front on how the new, depending on how the markets did the previous day. But yeah, it's definitely a bigger part of our discourse now. And I think exactly. And, and, and I don't know when you got involved in when, what year was that when you first kind of, when you were at the Dow, AP Dow Jones, was that, um, that was like 95, 96. Uh -huh. And, you know, that was before the big dot-com crash. It was before the Asian financial crisis. And it was, of course, after the big October crash in 1989. But, but still, it hadn't, you know, business news, again, it was more about just the markets. It wasn't about what it is like today, which is Warren Buffett is a rock star. Mark Zuckerberg is, you know, the guy every kid wants to be. I mean, this is that's really different than it was back then. And the economy's changed. How you secure yep. your future has changed. So entrepreneurship has really taken, taken off a spotlight. And actually, I interviewed a woman uh, who went to Harvard Business School, and I think she graduated in like two thousand or two thousand one. And she said at the time she wanted to be an entrepreneur, which was such a new concept for even mm. a business school at Harvard because that then it was just like everybody wanted to just get a job at Bain Capital, <laughs> <or> like, <laughs> right. you know, Goldman Sachs. But I wanted to start a business and that was, in, you know, not inconce inconceivable, but it just wasn't where the mindset was. No. And, and, you know, and there is a there is some correlation, I think, between between the rising prominence and awareness of women in the business world, um, you know, that there is a lack of women in senior management roles or the, you know, the, the, the lack of women being promoted into senior roles that, that there is also in conjunction with that, the rise of women choosing entrepreneurship. 
because I think it's it's very much a path, a quicker path in some ways for them to become their own bosses or to determine their future um, than if they were to just rise up through, you know, the ranks of GE or, mm-hmm. or you know, Microsoft or wherever else. So I think there is some correlation there, which is why you are seeing entrepreneurship being such a, a you know, being such a hot commodity or hot industry to be in these days. I was invited to come on Bloomberg last year when my book came out. Was it last year or two years ago? And I was seated next to Barbara Corcoran. Yes. And, and the question was, why aren't there more female women running? Why aren't there more women running hedge funds? <laughs> and Barbara goes, because it's a stinking job. It's a terrible job. Um you know, it, who wants to get on a plane every other day and not come home until one in the morning and not, you right. know, like that's not healthy, whether you're a man or a woman. And particularly if you're a woman who wants to, you know, have children and get pregnant <laughs> once in a while, like it's just not conducive to that. And I thought, thank you for saying that. It's not because we're not interested necessarily in getting becoming successful. Sometimes right. the job just doesn't appeal. Yeah, it's not appealing. I mean, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, right? I mean, entrepreneurship is also, I mean, you've got to be 24 seven, right? I mean, it can, you know, it can be just as hard hours wise, but, but it might be because, but you may not notice it as much because you're building your own company and it's your, and it's your passion. And I think that's, you know, when you're building your own company, you're, you know, you're, you're determining your own future. It's so much more exhilarating, I think, for someone like that, you know, who is a true entrepreneur than to be building something within a hedge fund or a financial firm that is just not as interesting to them. Tell us a little about working at Bloomberg. I think for a lot of listeners, um, it's interesting to get the behind the scenes. We often just, you know, we flip through the channels. We don't know what goes into producing a show and you've been doing this for years. What's your morning like? At least just give us a snapshot of the behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, so I am totally grateful for this job. I'll hold on to it for as long as I can <laughs> until they kick me out the door. Um, I've been doing the morning show. I, I did the, I did the early morning show from eight to 10 for the past eight years. And then uh, just in the past year, I've moved on to doing, uh, having a little bit more reasonable hours where I'm now doing the 10 to 12 show and then the three to four, the closing bells. So I've added more hours, but I'm getting a little bit more sleep these days. Um, you know, being a being on television, you get a lot of interesting questions. I think that when I was doing the really early morning show, the number one question people asked me was, you know, what time do you go to bed? And the answer was 8.30. Although by the time eight years rolled around, I was going to bed at like 9.30, 10, because I, you know, I just, I, you know, I had to, I had to have also a life. So it was, um, you know, the, the hours were very, you know, were, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. They are stressful. But um, they're also very conducive to having kids as well because, you know, we're all in bed pretty early. So nowadays, in terms of, you know, the, the, day, the day in the life of, I mean, I walk in in the morning around 630 and I read in, I meet with my team, I go get my hair and makeup done around 730 and it usually takes about 30 minutes. Um, you know, people say again to me, you know, oh my God, it must be so great to get your hair and makeup done every day. And my reply back is always, yeah, it's great the first several times, but try doing it every single day. And, you know, anything that you have to do every day starts to wear you down. So we get in and get out and hair and hair and makeup. <laughs> and then um, and then we're, you know, we're back on meetings talking about the show that, you know, usually the rundown is changing. It's like a living 
breathing organism. It's changing all the time because you've got this breaking news or that breaking news or this guest came through or that guest canceled. And it's all a mad rush until you get to 10 o'clock and then boom, you know, the lights turn on and you're on air and then everything has to be calm. So, you know, you, there's that famous uh, or the, there's that phrase, you know, you never want to see what, what the sausage is like or how the sausage is being made. I mean, that's exactly a great description of television because on air, everything looks smooth and fantastic. And it looks like we've got a, you know, we've got, you know, it looks like everything is is going as planned, but really behind the scenes. I mean, you know, we're like ducks, right? Like the feet are just like paddling like crazy, but we look totally smooth on air. So that's, (laughs) that's how it is every single day, but it's a great adrenaline rush. And I love television. I was a print reporter So TV was very new to me, you know, nine, 10 years ago. And now that I've done it for, for so long, I mean, I really, really appreciate how, um, you know, how fast paced it is. What would you say is your money mantra, Betty, a financial philosophy that you've carried with you through life? Um, you know, uh, that's a great, great question. I think for me, um, there's a couple of things. I mean, one is, I always do everything in moderation. So, you know, so, so if I, um, you know, I'm never one, one extreme or another, like I'm never, I'm never so cheap that, you know, I won't buy anything (laughs) that I'm never, you know, plunking down or whatever, some extravagant price for, for something that's not worth it. Like I always, everything's very much in, in moderation. Um, I try not to be as much as I can because I got burned one time. I try not to be emotional about my money. I think it's really, really hard not to be, but I think Watching enough how the markets have um, have moved up and down through the years, having been through you know two financial crises, uh, reading about the crash you know of October 1989, you really learn that that emotion can be one of the biggest mistakes you make when you tie it to money. So I try to be as unemotional as I can when it comes to everything from you know buying that great purse that you want to buying a house. Um, you know, so, so in all financial decisions, I try to take the emotion out of it. What was your greatest experience with money growing up? How did you maybe arrive at this? Was it something that you experienced in your youth? It it, it wasn't so much in in my youth. I mean, I mentioned that I, that I got burned one time. Um, you know, this was back in, uh, yes, it was in the, in the dot-com bubble, like right before, um, right before the bubble burst in tech stocks, uh, you know, I was at the financial times and at the time, you know, as a journalist, you're allowed to invest in mutual funds. You're not allowed to invest in stocks because that would be a conflict of interest. But I remember thinking to myself, wow, like these tech stocks are really going up. Like, I think I should buy a mutual fund that invests in tech stocks. And so I got that cleared and I went in and, and I think it was because I was emotional about it. I thought, oh my God, like, you know, this can just only go up. And I started to think the way I was writing about people thinking, which is that, you know, this train can only go one way and, you know, you need to hop on board. You know, I remember I, you know, I put my money in this mutual fund and the next thing I know, I think it was like a week or two later, the market started to crash. The NASDAQ went down and I basically lost all my money in this mutual fund. And I, it was just a very big lesson for me where I, you know, now, now looking back, when you look at the money I lost, you might say, well, that wasn't that much, but I wasn't that old at the time. So that was a lot to me. Um, and I just remember thinking to myself, like, geez, 
you know, next time, you, you know, Betty, you have to be a lot smarter about your decisions and you have to really like, you know, look to see, you know, do your research versus just getting caught up in the momentum and the emotions of everyone else and putting your money in and, and placing a bet on that. That's hard, you know, and so it was a very hard fund at least. So it had a mix of <laughs> investments. Yes, exactly. But it's still I mean, mm. it's still pretty much um you know, everything was going almost to zero. Yeah. So the fact that it was concentrated in tech stocks. And that was, would have been uh, a good time to buy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> everything was well, and, and that's the thing, Farnoosh, is that if I had been less emotional, I would have had the wherewithal at the time to say, you know what? Okay, so it's down 80%. I'll go in and put, you know, put more of my money in there and buy it on the cheap. But by that time, I was so scared and so, you know, wrapped up in the in, in the losses that I just like completely bailed out. And, you know, and, and that again was, you know, was, was a part of that lesson, which is, which is if you get too emotional, you miss the opportunities too. Right. And that's one of Warren Buffett's great tenets, which is that when everyone is fleeing, <laughs> running for the yes. woods, that's when you want to strike. And that's when you, when everyone's fearful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go back for a second because I do want to go a little bit down memory lane into your childhood, even further back before the tech stock uh, crash. Um, tell us about your uh, your foray into the world of finance as a kid. Like, what, What's your biggest memory about money as a kid growing up? When I grew up, my parents did, did the thing of giving us an allowance. So every, every week, I would, you know, we would get, my sister and I have an older sister. She's five years older. Um, you know, we would get a sum of money every week for, you know, good behavior, doing our homework, getting good grades. And, um, you know, I, of course, being five years younger, got substantially less than my older sister. So I don't know where it came from, but I remember every week that I got the money, I would always put it in my little pink wallet and uh, and save my money. Whereas my sister, and I hope she doesn't kill me for telling this, would always spend her money. So she would have nothing, you know, at the end of the week or she would have nothing at the end of the month. And I remember very distinctly, I, you know, and here we're talking about like a dollar here, a dollar there. I remember distinctly that when I finally saved a hundred dollars at the age of, I don't know, whatever it was, 10 or 11 years old, it was such a milestone. Like my parents were so proud of me. They were, they were saying to me, you know, my parents were big savers anyway, I think that's also partly being immigrants. You know, you're, you're just big savers in general. But I remember they looked at me and they thought, you know, they were just so proud of me that I saved that amount of money. And my sister was so jealous because she had spent all of her money. And I think that that kind of was a reinforcing um, moment for me that, that, you know, that you do, that you should, you know, you should save your money. You should be very disciplined. You should, you should, um, you know, make sure that you're, you're very balanced with how you, you know, how you handle your money. And, um, you know, and I think that that's kind of played out through my whole life where, you know, I try to make sure that I don't have any debt. You know, I, when I graduated with college loans, you know, that was my first priority was to pay off the loans first than it was to spend money on a vacation or, um, or spend money on, you know, on a new dress. I mean, I, I did all those things too, but I did them probably to a lesser degree because I, it was my priority to make sure I didn't have any debt. And I still go through life where I pay off all my credit cards at the end of every month. I, um, you know, if I do have debt, which of course I do, cause I own a home, um, you know, I just want to make sure that I always, that I'm always very disciplined about that. And I don't have excessive amounts of debt because that, you know, that, that to me, I, I think I just reinforced in myself early on. Well, 
it's so would you say you are hardwired this way? And if so, like when you're a kid and you're saving and your sister's spending, what's the difference there? Was there a voice in your head that was going, Betty, like if you save all this money, <laughs> they'll be a great like were you just better at delaying gratification? You were also the kid that didn't reach for the cookie that, you know, always asked for permission. I'm just trying to see if we're actually born and hardwired this way or if this is something that we can learn through yeah, experience. You know, I think it's a great, I mean, I think it's a great question and, and I haven't, you know, I probably have to sit on a therapist couch for a while to figure that out. You know, like what is it <laughs> that, um, you know, what happened to me in my childhood to make me feel like I, you know, I really needed to be disciplined and save my money. You know, is it, is it because I was just hardwired to think that I've got to save for a rainy day because any crisis can happen at any moment? Um, maybe, um, because there's nothing, you know, we weren't a particularly, you know, we we're very middle class growing up. We didn't really have any, you know, tragedies, um, you know, financial wise. You know, I did see my parents struggle a little when we first moved from, um, you know, they moved from China and then they from Hong Kong. Or they moved from China to Hong Kong and then from and then from Hong Kong to the U.S. And there was a period of time where, you know, we were living apartment to apartment and and, you know, and in some neighborhoods that were not great. So, you know, I did see some of that struggle, but but I, I don't think that they made such a huge impression on me that I felt like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to save because we'll be bankrupt one day. Uh, you know, that that certainly didn't figure into it. I just think sometimes, yeah, you know, you are you are kind of hard, hardwired. There are people who 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 probably, you know, tip the scale and spend a bit more than their means. And then there's others like me who want to spend a little bit less to feel a little a little more secure. You know, my big challenge is I always want to make sure that I'm that I'm not saving too much and I'm not being too conservative. I think women tend to have that. Um, sometimes they have that tendency to be, be a bit more conservative. And so, you know, so I want to make sure that I'm making those, the investments where I can grow my money and not just saving them. But I also, at the same time, um, you know, always make sure that I have enough money where if I lost my job the next day or God forbid something tragically happened, that I would have enough for, you know, for a rainy day. Has there ever been a misstep? I'm trying to find something here. We talk about failure on this show, but I have to, I wonder if you've ever had a financial failure now that I asked this out loud. Well, oh, absolutely. And well, I mean, I mentioned, you know, I mentioned that misstep about, you know, getting too emotional and, yes. and putting, um, you know, I, I've had missteps where, um, I, uh, you know, I, you know, I sold too early. I remember when I was, when I was really young, not really young, but I was in my late twenties. I, um, went in on a house with my, with my family, a, a house in the beach in New Jersey. And, um, you know, again, emotions took a hold of me and I was worried. I remember at the time, this might've been right after the dot-com crash. I was worried that the economy was going into recession and I sold that house right away probably about 18 months after we bought it. And even though we made a little bit of money on it, you know, if I'd held on to it, I think the, the house is now worth twice as much as when we bought it. So, you know, again, like it was the emotional part of it and, and fearful, you know, that fear. And maybe that is also why, you know, I save a bit more than other people. I guess it's that, you know, the, I think that the fear of like, you know, of getting caught in something, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, Betty Lou convicted of tax fraud. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I, you know, I, I think it's, so, you know, on that end, yeah, I mean, there, you know, there definitely, 
there definitely is, um, you know, there, there, I think I've missed opportunities, I guess is what mm-hmm. I would say. What I would say, I've missed opportunities because I was, you know, perhaps too emotional about something or too fearful yeah. about something. And again, like that's something that I think all the time I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure I, I overcome. Well, when you're raising two kids, you know, it's, uh, yes. you take on a whole new sense of priority and you're- yeah, I mean, you know, you want to teach your kids, you want to be conservative, number one, because you want to provide for your kids. Um, and number two, you know, I want my kids to, to know the value of a dollar. So I don't try to be too excessive with them. Um, and, you know, and being a single mom, you know, I, you know, I'm very aware that that I'm it. Right. So it, the everything stopped. Literally, the buck stops with me. So, you know, so I have to be very careful and make sure that if anything were to happen, you know, my kids and I will be OK. And you know, and, 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 and I think that they, you know, they understand that too. And so, and so I'm hoping that they, through that, they learn a little bit about, you know, about the value of a dollar. What's your proudest financial moment, Betty? Your so money moment. My proudest financial moment. Um, you know, I would say, I mean, this is kind of, so for every milestone that I've had in my, so, okay. So when I turned 30, I, you know, and, 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 and remember that this is coming from someone who, you know, priority is saving. Um, you know, I've been more conservative than, than risky. And I've been trying to overcome that. But I always said to myself, look, if I'm doing well in my career, I'm doing well in my life, you know, every milestone. So when I was 30, I said I was going to splurge and I bought myself a BMW. And so I, you know, and I, and I love cars. So cars and watches are the two luxuries that I, that I do spend money on. Um, and, and, and I use those as, and to me, like they're rewards. Like if you, you know, if you've done well in your, in your job, like you got a promotion or you've hit some sort of milestone, like, you know, to me, I say, you know, you should buy yourself, you should buy yourself something really great. And for other people might be a really, you know, might be a $15,000 Birkin bag, or it might be, you know, um, a vacation home, who knows, whatever it may be. For me, it was buying a car. I did that also for my 40th birthday. I bought myself a car. Um, I do that when I, uh, you know, when I had a, uh, a promotion, I bought myself a really expensive Rolex. I mean, all that stuff, like to me, like if you just, if you sometimes, if you save yourself for those moments, you know, they can be worth a lot and they mean, they mean a lot more to you. And so there was a decade where you were driving that one car. So that's good. You were getting some mileage out of it. Well, <laughs> well we, we did have, well, we had two kids in the meantime, so we did have to buy a minivan in between, <laughs> but that car was my car. Yeah. yeah. BMW was my car. I drove it and, uh, and it was fun. <laughs> I had a I had a used BMW and I have to say it was a lot of upkeep maintenance. The costs were just not they outweighed the value of the car at so yes. at one point. So we got rid of that happily. But well, it, uh, it definitely isn't. I mean, an expensive car is not exactly the best financial no. decision uh, by any <laughs> means. But you know what? I mean, you want to enjoy your life too. Sure. And you work hard for your money, so get what yes. you want. Uh, let's talk about habits, Betty. What's your number one financial habit? Um, so I have, so there's one thing, you know, I thought about that when I, when I read that question, there is one thing that I do that, you know, might seem like it's, you know, archaic because you have all this software, you have all this technology, but I don't feel so bad doing it after I heard that Charlie Ergen, the chairman and founder of Dish does the same thing, only he does it obviously on a much bigger scale, which is he almost always writes his own checks and he will write, he will physically write the checks or sign off on the checks for, I believe, you know, anything that costs more than a hundred million or 
or a million dollars at his at his company, and it might be high, a higher threshold than that. I actually find that, like for me, like at the end of every week, you know, I write all of my own checks, like whether it's paying the mortgage or it's paying the nanny or it's paying whatever it may be. Um, and you know, nowadays I do use some software to do that, but I do find like when you do that, you have a better handle on your finances than if you were just letting, you know, if you were just doing automatic payments, for instance, which I understand, you know, have great convenience, but, but for me being able to assess every week, even if it takes me, you know, 30 minutes to do all of this, it just gives me a better handle on what money's coming in and what money's going out. If I write my own checks or at the very least, if I'm using software that I know, you know, that I'm clicking on every single payment so that I know exactly where all the money is going. It's important. I agree. I mean, I, I, there are very few checks that I write these days, but in my earlier years, like when I was moving into my own apartment and taking on a lot of financial bills, I just felt that, you know, I, that I, you're absolutely right. You have a running in your head, you have a running tab of what your life costs. Exactly. And you kind of know it's also price discovery. Like you sort of uh, get to understand and remember like Mm -hmm. how much things cost. Right. And how much (laughs) I always joke if I if I was a contestant on prices. Right. I would bomb so bad. Like I I don't know what things I mean, I don't because I don't also own the typical things. They're like price guessing on that show, like a dinette set. Like I don't have a dinette set. I have a table and chairs. (laughs) Or like a ping pong table or something like that. A motorcycle machine. Or a boat. I'm like, I don't twelve thousand, four thousand, I don't know. Um that's funny. So let's do some so money fill in the blanks now. This is the end of the show. You've been wonderful. Thank you so much for staying on as for as long as you've been so much fun. Uh, we do this thing where uh, I start a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. So if okay. I if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is I would open up a bakery. Really? Yeah, I huh. love baking. <laughs> um. So now it's the holidays. You must be baking up a storm. Oh, I am. I am. You'll be getting one of my famous breads or cookies in the <gasps> <Yay>! mail. <laughs> All right. Do you know what I bought yesterday? Um, cookie dough. <laughs> Frozen <laughs> cookie dough. Because that's the extent of my baking. Oh, sacrilegious. I know. I really want to – because here's the thing. If I want to bake a simple cake, I have to go to the grocery store and buy all this stuff, flour, um, <laughs> sugar, like that I have to buy like sacks of this stuff and then – I'm like a baker for life or I just I'm someone that has closets full of stuff that she'll use once a year. So I just I don't know. I would love to get into easier the, to buy I think when my son's older. It'll be I want to make that kind of a nice ritual and tradition. And so yes. I read that book, um, Bringing Up Bebe. And in France, one of the things they do to help their kids as they're growing up to learn how to delay gratification, this is important because it does help with your finances as you're older, is they bake with their children after school. It's like a very popular after school mm. project where kids come home from school and they will with either their parent or their t- caretaker, they'll bake cookies or whatever. And they have to learn how to measure and they have to learn how to wait for the for the baking to be done. And then they can't eat it right away. They have to wait until dinner and then they can only have one or two pieces. So that whole process just teaches them so much. Yeah, that's great discipline. Great discipline. And I think they know, we know now that kids that are able to delay gratification end up being more productive yep. and successful and much more disciplined. Mm-hmm. That's very important. We digress, but I thought it was a cute anecdote. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
when I spend my money, the one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Um, technology. So yeah. anything, that, yeah, anything that has to do with, you know, a new technology does make my life better. Like your phone, your laptop, very important. My phone, exactly. When I splurge, I like to buy blank. You already talked about cars and watches. So yes. I guess that, that answers that. What are you driving now? So, so, so my latest, um, so right now I have the, you know, the Lexus SUV for the kids and I have my little, um, which is not a, a luxury car, but it is a fun car. My VW Beetle, my convertible. Oh, cute. It's, it's a, it's a little yellow Beetle and I love it. What color is it? Uh, yellow. Okay. So punch buggy yellow. I just, yes. I did do a virtual punch buggy yellow. And so now <laughs> you have to buy me a Coke or something now. I don't know how, how it works. Right. <laughs> um, when I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is. More about investing. Wish I'd yeah. learned more, more how to invest. I hear that earlier. a lot from women. Yes. I don't think men are getting the investing advice at age eight either, but they get it eventually more so than women. And by get it, I mean they they encounter it or they seek it or they're taught it somehow from a mentor or just I don't know what it is. The, I think a lot of it also is the financial industry caters to men yes. more than women on, well, and, on a large scale. And that's why I think, you know, as a mom, as a parent, you know, I do think that we don't teach enough of financial education at school. And if, you know, if, if I had just taken an accounting class in high school or if I had just, you know, if I had just one economic class, you know, in, in, you know, when I was in middle school or high school, I just think I would have been much further ahead and I, and I probably would have been interested in it earlier than, you know, than waiting until, you know, after college. All right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... When I donate, I give to, um, I usually give to the lupus foundation because Mm -hmm. my mom had lupus and she, she died from it. So, um, when I started to make, uh, enough money that I felt like I could make donations, that was, you know, about 10 years ago, I, you know, I started to donate to the lupus foundation and I've stayed with that. And last but not least, I'm Betty Lou. I'm so money because... That, I love that. I'm so money because... Um, I'm glad you like it. Some people get terrified from that. <laughs> oh, really? They're like, wait, I'm, what? So money. Well, huh. well, how, well, how do people interpret it? Because I think of like, I'm so, I'm so money because I can, you know, I've made enough to become independent and determine my future. I mean, that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's on the money. I mean, I, I think it can be anything you want it to be. It's open for interpretation. You know, I think when I think of so money, I think like... You're just a financial rock star. Why? Why is that? What? One element of your life that you're proud of that has something to do with money. You know. Yep. And um, I think you nailed it. So thank you so much, Betty Lou. We'll be seeing you on TV, and I'll be waiting for your cake. <laughs> yes, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> some good, some good cookies on its way. <laughs> Yay! Happy holidays and happy New All Year. Right. You too, Farnoosh. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Betty, check out her website, betty-liu.com. Her Twitter handle is bettywliu. For the podcast transcript and more, head over to somoneypodcast.com. And there you can also ask me a question. Click on Ask Farnoosh and ask away whatever is on your money mind about money, career, babies, work, um, 
travel. I get it all and I answer it all. So send me your question. I answer, I try to answer everything on the Friday episode of Ask Farnoosh. And if you're at the website and you're wondering what else you can get for free, click on my free ebook, sign in and you will automatically get my free ebook called So Many Secrets. It's a compilation of the best interviews that I've had, some of the best interviews. I can't say that they are the best because I mean, it's an ongoing thing here. We have amazing interviews every day. But uh, at the time of the book's drafting, it was some of the best conversations I had with my guests and the takeaways that have helped me take my life from good to great and hopefully yours next. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money. Oh,